So back when I was a kid, my church in Olympia uh, was going uh, room to room at a nursing center slash rehab home. I'm sure some of you have done that, right? Church went there. And uh, we were singing songs by request and just visiting with people. And I can remember this one, and forgive me, I was young at the time, very, very old person, okay, saying uh, their request, you know, mention their request, and it was just a closer walk with thee, right? And get this, nobody in the small group that I was in knew the song. Nobody, except my dad. Now, my dad did not sing. I never remember seeing my father, you know, get up in church and sing. No, that did not happen. But for whatever reason, my dad felt um, impressed by the Spirit to go ahead and give it a shot. And so here we are, fairly sizable group of us in this room, my father singing a solo, the only time I've ever heard him do it. So you can know it sticks in my mind. Just a closer walk with thee. To my surprise, he didn't sound so bad. <laughs> Who would have thought? I remember going to the rehab center after my father had his stroke. And uh, I'm wondering if there was anybody in the community that would come and sing for my father. I am certain that if someone had come to sing for him, that uh, he would have been very, very happy uh, to have them do that. Instead, I do know of at least one time where a previous pastor who has a beautiful singing voice, plays the piano beautifully, he came to uh, my folks' house, and he spent an hour singing for my dad. Incredible ministry opportunity for any one of us and if my father could sing a solo to someone there's not a lot of excuse for the rest of us uh, so let me just say how many opportunities the, the world gives us to go and bless other people there are a lot of opportunities are you taking advantage of some of those uh, you know you hear about this mission trip I'm telling you that we've got several ladies in the church who you know go to the prison every Sunday Lots of things to do. School is starting. You think uh, there are a lot of kids who could use someone to come along and tutor? And I don't just mean at Adventist schools, right? There are a lot of public schools here in the valley. I have uh, spent time before. Uh, I can remember when I walked in this place that I, you know, I want to sign up. Where can I sign up? I'd like to tutor some kids. So they asked me some questions. You know, what kind of education do you have? And I said, well, you know, I'm pursuing a master's degree at the moment. I guess you'd say I'm decently educated. And they said, yeah, probably so. Uh, we want you to tutor a couple of boys in writing. And the first thing I thought of is, oh, I hope they're not talking penmanship. <laughs> because I can already kind of feel and hear my penmanship teacher rolling over in her grave. <clears throat> That's not my strong suit. They said, no, 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 we're talking, you know, like writing papers. Oh, I'm pretty good at that. And so uh, that's what I did for uh, half of a school year. I tutored these two boys in how to write. It was really fun. I enjoyed it. 
seize the opportunity this year and do something for God. Do something for God. Do something for other people. So we've been talking about disabilities, and I found it interesting that, you know, we were talking about the human seatbelt today and uh, the service dog who, who rescued June, as it were, and uh, we're hearing about other opportunities. It's just amazing to me then to see how this plays out in, in everyday life. Uh, but we've been talking about people in the Bible who have disabilities. We want to make it clear that Scripture does not avoid this subject. It's very uh, decisive in letting us know what God thinks uh, when he sees people with disabilities. And today you're going to see this so very clearly in at least one biblical passage that I think should blow your mind. It's that important to this topic. Having a disability is not an unimportant topic in Paul's thought. Rather, I think it takes us right to the heart of his gospel. You want to know what the good news uh, regarding Jesus is about? Then listen to what Paul has to say regarding disabilities. There are two basic aspects of disability in both modern and ancient thinking. And one of them is that a disability is a functional limitation of some kind. And the other is that it often carries some sort of a social stigma. Whether consciously stated or not, uh, we've often thought that people with disabilities, you know, are less than somehow or weird or whatever. And if you go to any school in the country, you'd probably see at some point kids make fun of other kids because they have some kind of a disability. Now, when I was young, I could not say my R's, S's, and T's. I had to go to a speech therapist at the public school just down the street from the other school I was attending. Now, you'd find it interesting. To, you know, I, I went to a speech therapist. I'm a pastor. <laughs> you know, right? Yeah, I did. And I know that I was made fun of because I could not pronounce my T's and S's and R's. To my surprise, it took very little for that therapist to be able to help me. A few months, and I was good. Paul uses two terms to describe disabled selves, disabled people. Those two terms are weakness and flesh. Weakness and the words that come from the same root, they refer to a variety of physical illnesses and disabilities. So let me illustrate. Here is where the same word, weakness, fits different kinds of illnesses and disabilities. In Luke 10, verse 9, Jesus says, Cure the sick who are there and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. In John 5, verse 5, the pool of Bethesda, the man has a problem with his feet, right? And yet it says one man who was there had been ill, weak, sick for 38 years. Acts 28, 9, this is Paul's life and his journeys all over the world. After this happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases, weaknesses, illnesses, disabilities, 
also came and were cured. And in James 5.14, are any among you sick? Meaning, are any of you weak? In any way, weak. They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. So this is a kind of a general purpose word in Greek, and it describes people who are both sick or disabled. The same Greek word, interestingly enough, refers to something besides a physical or mental disability. It refers to being weak in faith. In Romans 14, verse 1, welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. It's a good idea, right? Don't turn your Sabbath school class into a battlefield. In one of my churches in Ohio, I, uh, I wanted to uh, talk to a couple people together, and somebody said to me, Pastor, not a good idea. And I said, why? Well, a couple years back, they had an argument in Sabbath school class, and they settled it out in the parking lot. Are you kidding me? Paul says that we can be weak in the faith. Disabled, sick. Paul also contrasts our present human body with our resurrected body. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 43, Our bodies are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in power. Our bodies are weak. It doesn't matter how old we are. It doesn't matter how healthy we think we are. Our bodies, according to this verse, are weak. Sin-damaged bodies. Now, I'm feeling some of my weakest. You'll notice that I'm pushing myself a little. I got the broken arm. I'm trying to hold this iPad with my left hand. And it's already saying to me, why am I doing this? Right? Why am I doing this? I'm not used to doing this. I haven't done it for a while. But this same Greek word that is translated weakness or illness or disability uh, it can also describe the weakness of human condition, generally speaking, including mental and emotional disabilities. Romans 6, verse 19, because of the weakness of your human nature, and in the Greek it's flesh, because of the weakness of your flesh, I am speaking in human terms to help you understand all this. We human beings, we have weaknesses in understanding God's message. Is that true? You showed up at church or Sabbath school and you're what are they talking about? I don't understand this. And then, of course, the word can be used to describe, the word flesh can be used to describe our whole self. All of who we are. What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood, does he just mean your flesh and your blood? Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You, as a person, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Sin-damaged as you are. Other times, Paul associates the flesh with the power of sin, and he says it's opposed to God. In Romans 8, verses 7 and 8, For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. 
It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you have, and you do, this human weakness, this human disability, this human sickness, sin, you cannot please God. You are opposed to God. You are hostile toward God. It's not because our flesh is inherently evil. God did not make us that way. We've messed ourselves up, starting with Adam and Eve, right? But nevertheless, our whole self is disabled, sick. Now, the Bible describes that in so many places. I was just, you know, I have a spot in my Bible in which I started collecting times in which uh, the Bible describes sin as like a medical problem. Okay, so here's one in the book of Isaiah, and that's where I've written all these texts. In fact, I'm going to walk down here, and have I written a few texts in here, Jerry, about where you can find sin as sickness? Yeah, lots of texts written right there in my Bible. Here's what it says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 1. Are you, where will you be stricken again as you continue in rebellion? The whole head is sick, and the whole heart is faint, from the sole of the foot even to the head, there's nothing sound in it. The Bible does not mind at all using medical terminology to describe the problem of sin. In fact, in a place in Chronicles, it says that the uh, problems in Israel rose to the point where there was no remedy for their rebellion. Now, anytime you're sick and you're told, there's no remedy, there's no cure. Do you like that? That's tough news. This week I went to visit somebody who was not expected to survive. Some of you remember Barb Guth. I used to attend here. I went to see her uh, Thursday, her and her husband. She is dying from cancer. Told there was nothing more they could do. Sad news. The two of them have been married just about as long as my wife and I have been. Um, I think they said like 37, 38 years. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be very difficult. As he was talking to me about it, she could not rouse herself enough to even uh, speak to me. Um, he began to cry. In Paul, the terms fleshly and according to the flesh... Describe a way of thinking and acting that is based on human weakness, sin-damaged human beings. In order to do good, the Bible says, we have to have the power of God working in us because we cannot do good on our own. We're not capable of it. In fact, we're told in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, we have this treasure in clay pots, clay jars, so that we made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. God alone makes it happen in our lives, in the lives of other people. So Paul has this terminology of disability in his writings. Weakness and flesh. Right? These two terms describe sickness, disability. They describe our whole self. Our human nature is weak and disabled, and only God's grace-filled mighty power can come to our rescue and make a difference in our heart, such 
that we can do differently, think differently, speak differently, act differently. Only God's power can rescue us from our sickness and disability. How did God manifest this power to us? Paul says it was through the gospel. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. The power of God. Now, what's odd about the gospel is that it, it reveals to us a Jesus who is both disabled and powerful. Both disabled and powerful. Let me illustrate. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, and here's that Greek word again, for Jesus was crucified in weakness but lives by the power of God. For we are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Hmm. Jesus crucified in weakness? You remember, we read the book of Isaiah, and it described our sin condition as a massive medical problem. We're told Jesus took all of that onto himself. And we'll read some more about that in a minute. In the gospel, God sent Jesus to save humanity from our condition of sin and death, from our weakness and disabilities. Our salvation was made possible through Jesus sharing our sin-damaged, weakened human form. We read in Romans 8, verse 3, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In another place, 2 Corinthians 5.21, we read, For our sake, for our benefit, he, God, made him to be Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Just as Adam represented the entire human race when he sinned, so Jesus also represents the whole human race that is freed from weakness and disability. Jesus stands as our representative in a number of passages in the Bible. Here are some I'm sure you've read before. Romans 5, verse 5. The free, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, that would be Adam's, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift and the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. Just as one man damaged us, made us sick and disabled, the other man has freed us from our sickness and disability. 1 Corinthians 15, 45, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. A life-giving spirit. Jesus represented all of humanity, and that's why he was able to bring us life. The ultimate sharing in human weakness by Jesus included what? Sharing in death. Sharing in death. The human Jesus died on Calvary's cross when he was crucified. 
The gospel tells us that we participate both in Jesus' death and in Jesus' life. Bunch of Bible texts, right? Romans 6, 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Romans 8, 17, we suffer with him, with Jesus, so that we may also be glorified with him. 2 Corinthians 4, 10, always carrying in the body, our body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. Galatians 2, 19, very popular verse, I have been crucified with Christ. Philippians 3.10, I want to share Christ, I want, excuse me, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. Yet Jesus' humiliating and painful death and an ultimate weakness on the cross is the key that unlocks the possibility for you and I to be freed of our weakness, to be freed of our disabilities so that we could enjoy a life of limitless ability, a life of power and glory. This then also shows up in some of the texts we've read and some new ones as well, you know. If we've been united with him in death, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. We're caring about the body of the death of Jesus inside of us so that the life of Jesus may be visible in our bodies. Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Not just at the last day, but the power of his resurrection today, in your life today, to realize the power of Jesus working in your life today. The gospel that Paul preached in Corinth was that of a weak and disabled God. And by that, I mean this. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 and 23, the Jews demanded signs and the Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a scandal to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Now, the signs that the Jews demanded went something like this. We have heard, God, of the signs and wonders that you did when you pulled us out of Egypt, and we want those repeated. We want you know, the, the countries around us that we're now subservient to, we want them beat down. We want them to experience frogs and lice and thunderstorms and, you know, blood in the, the river and, and firstborn dead. We want that. That's what the Jews said. And the Greeks said, are you kidding me? God dying, being crucified on a cross? Inconceivable madness. No God would do that. No, God would permit that to happen to himself. And Paul said, you're wrong. The God of the universe, the only real God, has been there and done that. Why would the Jews and the Greeks wanted a different God than Jesus? Because the idea that God would somehow be functionally limited, that he would be put to death in such a way that he would bear a tremendous social stigma, totally distasteful. 
You say, what do I mean that Jesus was disabled? Well, when you're crucified on a cross, are you able to do anything? What's there left to do? What, what power do you have? Can you get up and walk? You can barely draw a breath. It was through the power of God that Jesus shouted out with a loud voice, it's finished. Certainly not in his own human strength. Criminals and slaves and treasonous rebels were crucified. There was a definite social stigma that came with being crucified. Paul's gospel defied all social expectation. Why would we want a God like that? Paul went on to say in 1 Corinthians 1, but to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God, it, of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's what? Weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Hmm. The, death, the death of Jesus on the cross completely turned inside out Everybody's thinking about weakness and power. In weakness was power. And as Paul continued sharing the gospel with the folk in, in Corinth, he told why God chose the cross. It was so that it might be very clear that the power to do anything good is in the hands of God and God alone. It's not in the hands of any human being. And that the real power comes only from love. It is the only real power in the universe. The only thing that actually works. In 1 Corinthians 2.5 we read, I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. 2 Corinthians 1.9. In fact, we expected, Paul said, to die, but as a result we stopped relying on ourselves. And learn to rely only on God, who raises the dead. We read in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not ourselves. Paul shared this gospel message with the Galatians as well. And you'll remember he complained because they had turned away from this gospel, right, to a different gospel. And so he, write, he wrote them this powerful letter, which we call Galatians. And in it, he reminded them first of their deep affection for him. He said, surely you remember that I was, oh no, there's that word weak, that Greek word, weak. Surely you remember that I was sick or weak when I first brought you the good news. But even though my condition, that is in the Greek, my flesh, tempted you, you did not despise me or spit me out. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. Paul's weakness could have been any human weakness. Could have been physical, could have been mental. I have no clue exactly what his problem was. I don't know that anyone for sure is certain of it. But his condition, we're told, posed a test. It posed a trial for the church in Galatia. And why was that? Well, first of all, most of the people in Paul's world, the world 
of that day believed that a person who was sick or disabled was demon-possessed. And secondly, one's appearance was regarded as a window into their character. We call that pseudoscience physiognomy. It means that I can look at you and how you appear to me, your, your physical outside appearance, and I can tell what kind of person you are in your heart. And it's trash. In the days of William Miller, uh, there was this weird pseudoscience going along. I can't remember the name of it. Some of you will remember. You, uh, you, they mapped out your head, and then they would feel your head, right? Excuse me? Phrenology. Thank you very much. Phrenology. And so just by, you know, the bumps and whatnot on your head, they could determine what kind of person you were in your heart. So one day this barber... He's uh, speaking really badly about this William Miller, this dude who's running around saying Jesus is coming and everybody should learn to love Jesus and so on. And he's like, eh, this guy's dumb. I I'll bet he's got, you know, and he's talking how badly about how misshapen this guy is. And, and all the time he's cutting this dude's hair and, and he's saying to you, you, sir, however, have a head that says, and he began to describe this man that he was, you know, he's cutting his hair as just the most wonderful person in character. And you know how it ended, right? The guy was William Miller. Physical appearance, outward appearance means nothing regarding a person's inward life. Yet, people have done it for a long, long time. Physiognomy. Mm. They practiced it all the time in Paul's day. And in saying, you did not reject, you did not despise or spit me out, Paul is referring to the fact that when he came there with his illness or his physical disability or whatever it was, they did not spit him out. The word is ekptuo. You can't even get the word out right without spitting. You did not spit me out. There was an inspection of social stigma because Paul was sick or disabled. Paul commends the Galatians, and when he says to them, you kick to the curb the general understanding and thinking and feeling about people with disabilities. You didn't accept a whit of it. Instead, you, you accepted me as if I were an angel from God. No, even Jesus Christ himself. And I want to stop there for a minute. This is probably the most powerful passage I know in the scriptures regarding how we should treat disabled people. You want to know how the Bible says we should? We should treat every sick and disabled person, no matter how they got sick or how they got disabled, we should treat them as if they were an angel from God or Jesus Christ himself. In fact, you know, there's, there's a place where, where Ellen White wrote, you want to know how you would treat Jesus? Well, how do you treat your children? Paul says, you want to know how you would treat Jesus if you were alive in your day? How do you treat sick and disabled people? That'll tell you what's really in your heart. Paul's disability was interpreted by the people in Galatia not within the context of the demonic, which is how everyone else did, but rather the context of the divine. 
And it isn't that God had caused Paul's problem. No, uh, Paul makes it very clear who had caused his problem. But I want to ask, is this the way that you and I think and act towards those people who are sick and disabled? Do we treat them like angels, like Jesus? Well, back in Corinth, Paul begins to talk about there's some people who are his opponents in Corinth, and he calls them, by the way, super apostles. You think uh, uh, Marvel has, uh, you know, the only uh, super uh, people maybe on the planet. Not true. Paul coined the word himself. Super apostles, that's what he refers to them as. And he begins to say, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. And you, you think he's beginning to brag, but then he goes and takes it a whole different way. And he says, I have far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless floggings, and often I have been near death. Five times I've received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked for a night and a day I was adrift at sea. I've been on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters. Do you live a dangerous life? In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked. Do you think this would have commended him to most people of his day? And besides other things, I'm under daily pressure because of my anxiety for all the churches. And then he summarizes his approach. You know, whatever kind of person I have, whatever past I have, and upbringing and training and education and so on, let me tell you what I'd really like to boast about. I'd like to boast about my weaknesses. My weaknesses. Even when he writes about his extraordinary visionary experiences he distances himself from any claim that they came to him because of his own power that they came to him because of his own ability or because of some goodness of character that he had in fact what he says is I know that I was caught up to paradise and I heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words things no human is allowed to tell that experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses, my sicknesses, my disabilities, my imprisonments, my floggings, my stonings, the times I've been adrift at sea. Paul spoke about his weaknesses. And then, of course, you've heard about his problem, right? To keep from becoming proud because he'd gone up and received these tremendous visionary experiences that anybody would love to have. He said, to keep me from becoming proud, the devil was allowed to give me a thorn in the flesh. And I begged God to take it away. And how did God respond? My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. 
So now he said, I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, say that with me, the whole, the whole thing. For, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you believe that? For when I am weak, then I am strong. So what have we uncovered today? Well, throughout time, sickness and disability has often had or made it very clear this person now has a functional limitation. When you're sick or you're hurt, there's things you cannot do. But it also comes with a social stigma frequently. Paul uses certain words to describe sickness and disability. They are weakness and flesh. We're weak people. We've been made sick and disabled by sin. You have been made sick and disabled by sin. But then Paul introduced us to the power of God through the gospel, only available to us through the gospel, which, oddly enough, is about God in the person of Jesus who became who took on our weakened human form died the ultimate expression of disability crucified on Calvary's cross took on all as it were our weaknesses our functional disabilities whatever they might be and put them to death on Calvary's cross the gospel, then, is about God becoming this weak person and dying that we might be saved. Is Jesus' choice to become weak and disabled, is it foolishness to you? Is it foolishness to you? Would you and I prefer a Savior who came with uh, pomp and power? Do we treat sick and disabled people like angels, even like treating them like Jesus himself? Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you that throughout the scriptures, whether we're talking about stories of disabled people, in this case, the story of Paul, who had a disability, in those stories, you make it very clear that your love does not stop just because we're hurt or sick. In fact, you have very much sided with those who are weak and sick, becoming weak and sick yourself in the person of Jesus who took on all of our weakness, all of our disabilities, mental and physical, so that we might have eternal life. Would you help us to make the decision to follow Jesus, to embrace Jesus today? And as he comes to be part of our lives, work in our hearts such that when we see people who are sick and disabled, we treat them like they are from heaven. 